You know, last week, it's kind of a funny story. I was supposed to be leading worship at our Easter service, but the night before our rehearsal, I tweaked my back and I couldn't move my legs. Yeah, I'm 33, so it gets better from here. But you know, it's funny because people were like, oh, we're so sorry you're going to miss it. That's going to be, and I was like, no, see, here's what happened. The enemy made a mistake because now I'm freed up to lie on the couch and pray the entire service. You know why? Because Jesus defeated the power of hell, the power of the grave, any power and principality. And if you came into this place today feeling like you're trapped, there's good news. We serve the king of kings. And depression is not higher than his name. And anxiety is not higher than his name. We serve the God who is a conqueror. Amen? Amen. Come on. That's worth slapping someone on the shoulder as you sit down this morning. Come on, would you welcome someone to the church? Say hi to someone. Can we thank the team for leading us so excellently this morning? All right. Whoo. What a beautiful day. You know, it's that kind of time of year where, where it's, it's getting to the point where it's like, thank you for being in church. Because <laughs> it's nice and warm outside. And we understand barbecue season's calling. Anyone barbecued yet? I've barbecued 15 times. <laughs> All right. I got a, I got a new barbecue because literally my old one fell apart like in a cartoon. I was rolling it to the shed to put it away for winter. The wheels fell off. The doors fell off. The tray fell off. And the whole thing twisted sideways. And all of the burners fell apart. And I was like, it's a sign, God. I'm getting a Weber. So hopefully for the next 20 years, I should be able to barbecue probably too much. Is that too much? 15 times in two weeks? That averages, you know, once a day. That's basically how it is. Well, welcome to Nova Church. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm part of the team here at Nova. And this morning I have the honor and privilege of getting to preach the word to you. But not just to you. To look at the word of God with you and allow it to challenge us and encourage us at the deepest level. That's what we're doing here. Uh, if we were just looking for a lecture, we'd watch a TED Talk. I can almost guarantee you they're more enjoyable to listen to. All right? Especially when it comes to me. All right. But here's the thing. When we come in and we open the Bible and we open the Word of God, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it gets right in there. It gets right in there to challenge us and encourage us and build us up. So turn with me to the book of John. The book of John is in the New Testament. It is the fourth gospel. So if you find the New Testament, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just keep flipping until you find it. And we're going to go to chapter 14. Uh, my Bible is one of these NLT ones. It's on page 648. That's no help to almost any of you. Uh, but go ahead and turn there. We're starting a new series here at Nova called Jesus Is. It seems so appropriate after Easter to take some time and just say, well, Jesus, who, who are you? Because the reality is this, right? There are plenty of opinions on who Jesus is out there. In fact, Jesus, to his own disciples in three of the gospel accounts, turns to his disciples and say, who do people say that I am? And the disciples are like, well, some, some say, you know, you're a prophet, come back from the dead. And like, Jesus, you can imagine Jesus being like, all right, <laughs> that's not in Jewish belief, but okay. Uh, some people think that you're John the Baptist. That one's particularly funny because John is Jesus' cousin. They've been alive at the same time. Jesus was baptized by John. And people are like, oh, you're John. 
that doesn't make any sense. And, and some people say you're a teacher. Some people say, and they go through this list. And the reality is that in our world, in our culture today, people are, people are still doing that. Well, Jesus was a good moral teacher. Jesus was a nice guy. I think Jesus loved everyone. Do I, do I think he was God? I don't know about that. But then Jesus has this moment where he turns to his disciples and says, okay, but who do you say I am? And who do you say I am? And here's why this is important for us to answer. Because at the end of the day, what you think about Jesus will shape the way that you live, the things that you do. It will shape the way that you prioritize your desires and your commitments in life. And it will either lead you into life and abundance and flourishing that God wants to give us, or it will just be another little belief that we tack on to another ideological system. Answering this question is one of the most important questions that you can ask and answer. And when Jesus turns to Peter, his one disciple goes, well, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah who's going to restore the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And what Jesus says is, Peter, on that truth and on that rock, that's what will build my church. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take some time and we're going to look at this together. We're going to ask the question, God, who, who is Jesus? We're going to understand what he's saying. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't just ask this question and then make us make our own assumptions. We don't just get to observe Jesus and make a bunch of assumptions about who he is. He actually defines himself. In the, in the Gospel of John that we're going to be reading from today, Jesus actually has several I am statements. And you need to understand that in the Jewish culture, I am was significant. There's a scene where Moses is talking to a burning bush, and, and Moses is freaked out about going to Egypt, which makes sense because they're powerful and, and dangerous, and they have no problem really murdering people who, you know, try to lead all their slaves out. And so he's like, who, 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 who will I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am that I am. I am that I am. So when Jesus says, I am light, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the, the sheepfold. When he has these, I am the bread of life. I am what we're going to read today, the way, the truth, and the life. This is more than just him saying, well, this is kind of who I am. He's, he's shooting across the bow. Shots are fired because he's declaring, I am the one that you have been waiting for. So let's read together. We're going to go here in John chapter 14, like I said, we're going to start right in verse 1. It says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, Jesus has basically just told his disciples that he's going to go away, and he's going to die, and they're like, so, so he's encouraging them. Yeah, just trust in God, and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If it were not so, I would not, I, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that uh, you will be with me always. And you know the way to get to where I'm going. Now, I love this here. Thomas is the best. No, we don't know, Lord. <laughs> oh, the Jesus is like, you know. You know the way. And I feel like this is when I talk to my kids. You know how to do that. I, I don't know. I have, no, I have no clue what's happening right here. But I love that Thomas is honest. He's like, we have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And it says this in verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know and you have seen him. Once again, Jesus here is saying, I am the perfect representation of the Father. I am God and I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, we're going to focus on the first part of this three-pronged claim. I am the way. So if you're taking notes, this message is called Jesus is the way. Or if you're a Mandalorian fan, this is the way. This is the way. So let's pray together as we explore this together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Oh God, we are so thankful. But we don't need to wonder who you are. We don't need to guess at who you are. We, we can know who you are based on who you say you are. God, thank you that you don't make us play games and guess, that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you that even though you could have left us alone, you entered into our story and you made a way where there was no way. You gave us truth when we were deceived and you gave us life when we were experiencing death. So Father, I pray that your word would take root in people's hearts. God, may your truth rest on us. May your spirit rest on us. Father, we want to receive what it is that you're speaking. So may my words fall to the floor, be forgotten, be trampled on. But God, your truth and your conviction and your encouragement take root and grow and flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I remember I was about... 12 years old the first time I drove to Montreal. Now, I'm not from Nova Scotia originally. I'm from Ontario, so driving to Montreal, seven hours approximately. And I went with my dad on this trip to Montreal. And before you think, well, that's a fun vacation, it was not a vacation. I was being dragged along for my dad's job, all right? We drove in our 1993 Astro van between north of Toronto, Ontario, all the way out to Montreal. And let me tell you, it was midsummer. It was 30 degrees. We had no air conditioning. It was one of those vans that only had the door on one side. You remember they used to make them that way? 1993 Astro van was amazing in 1995. Well, this was 2002. And so we're driving this old gray Astro van. And this is actually an important part of my life and my formation because it's where I learned that you should not have two glasses of milk and a juice at the first Tim Hortons and a bottle of water. Because when you're driving with your dad, you know what happens? He eventually gets tired of stopping. And then he's like, we'll get the next one. And I'm like, what do you mean, Dad? I got, I'm busting. He's like, no, no, I'll be fine. And in Ontario, they have these nice convenient signs after you've missed the rest stop that tells you how far the next one is. So it was like, next rest stop, 35 kilometers. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll make it. And then we get to the next one, and I'm like, okay, turn, 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 turn. And he just passes it. And I'm like, Dad, I'm dying. He's like, you're not dying. You just need to hold it. I'm like, Dad, 45 kilometers. And then we get to the next one, and I'm like, okay. And he starts turning it, and then he goes, nah, you got it. And then he pulls back onto the highway. And the sign says, next rest stop, 200 kilometers. I'm like, that is two hours in a 1993 Astro van. It was, it was an experience, let me tell you. But the, here's the other thing that some of you may not know. And I'm talking to the Gen Z crowd here. The way that we used to navigate was that the passenger was responsible for the navigation. All right, and back in 2002, let me tell you, there was no smartphone, there was no GPS, we weren't rich, hello. We had MapQuest instructions, 
All right? You would print them out, and it would tell you step by step what to do. Now, let me tell you, when you're driving between one point and another point in Ontario, that's fine. But when it switches to French, and the instructions tell you to turn down Rue de Champlain, and you're, like, looking for Rue de Champlain, but you needed to take another exit to get off so that you could get onto Rue de Champlain, but it doesn't say that in the MapQuest instructions. Your job as the navigator was now to unfold the map. See, maps are like what we had on our phones now, except they were made from paper, and they didn't talk back to you. You couldn't zoom in. You couldn't find the little blue dot. You had to just find it and then look at the streets and just find where you were. Locate yourself on the map in order to be able to turn around. And so while we're driving at 30-degree, hot, sticky city heat with the windows open in my 1993 Astro van, and we went under the first tunnel where the pressure changed with the map open on my 12-year-old lap, it flew directly out the window. And I grabbed it with my chicken arm. I got my scrawny little 12-year-old arm out there as far behind me as I could, and I pulled that map back in. And you got to remember that, like, to a parent, they're like, why didn't you tell me to turn off? You're like, these are the instructions that I was given. I can't do this. And it's like, find us on the map. And I'm like, I'm 12 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. And then the map flies away, and so I basically just cried my eyes out for the next 15 minutes. I was like, I'm sorry. Now, eventually, we got to where we were supposed to be get going. But let me tell you something. You think that potholes are bad in Nova Scotia. Potholes in Montreal, Quebec will eat your car. They will eat your 1993 Astro van. And so we turn off, we get off the highway, but we had to go through a construction zone. It took way longer than it should have. The air conditioning is still not working, though we're praying for a miracle. It was not a fun experience. It cost us more in gas. It was more frustrating. It probably did damage to our car because on the way home, the power steering stopped working because we missed the directions of where we were going. You see, when it comes to our life, we are just trying to navigate this world that we're in, aren't we? And man, it can be overwhelming. You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe like 15 years ago, you're like, this felt pretty simple, but now it's so complex. You know, it's like they've added all of these extra streets that were like, where did, where did this come from? Why are people offended by this? Why are people up in arms about this? How do I even navigate this? And I, I want to be truthful to the way of Jesus, but at the, at the end of the day, I don't even know what I'm doing. Does anyone feel that way? Like you want all that God has for you, but at the same time, it feels like we're maybe stumbling around in the dark. But when it comes to our lives, let's just, let's put it this way. We actually need a roadmap on how to live well. We need a mental map, a way of living that instructs us and guides us and leads us on the way to live this life well in order to arrive at the destination that we're getting to. Why? Because God created us for a Garden of Eden kind of life. And in the Garden of Eden, let me tell you, everything was optimal. It may not have been perfect, but it was optimal. Relationship with God, in perfect check. He would come down and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden every single day. Have you ever had questions in your faith? You feel like you're distant from God? Not in the garden, because he would just walk with you. Our relationship with each other was perfect. There was no fighting. There was no gossip. There was no Facebook comment sections, y'all. Like, it was, come on, it was good. 
It was good. And when God creates this good world and this, this beautiful world, he puts people in. He says, I'm giving you authority. Go, subdue the earth, be fruitful, multiply. God blesses them with this incredible creation that he gave where things were optimal. There was no sin, there was no shame, there was no brokenness, there was no war, no racism, no prejudice. There was none of that in the garden. But then if you've read chapter 3, which is very early on in the story, by the way, you know that it doesn't really go right. And even though God made us for that optimal kind of life, we chose a different way. See, God said, you just don't eat from that tree and everything will be okay. And they're like, great, we got it. That one tree, out of all of these trees, we won't eat from that tree. But are you holding out on this? Are you holding me back from what I could be? The enemy comes as a serpent. He lies to Adam and Eve. He says, no, God just doesn't want you to be like him. Which is crazy because they're actually made in God's image. The only part of creation made in God's image is humans, humanity. And they instead choose their own way. And so we long for and crave that destination. Woven into the heart of each and every single person, we have a longing for the garden reality, for the good life, for the life where things are optimal, where we don't have conflict, where we don't need to strive, where we don't need to feel like we need to put on a show to impress people, where we feel like we can just genuinely be at home, where we're not like trapped in addiction, where we're not trapped in sin, where we're not actually stuck in a pattern that we're trying to get rid of, where we have perfect relationship with those around us. We're not fighting. We're not gossiping. We're not getting into Facebook comment sections or Instagram comment sections. Everything is the good life. We crave that kind of living. Because God put a longing, that is actually what we're made for. And with the introduction of sin into the world, we now experience brokenness, don't we? Don't we? And we see it all around us. You know what I'm talking about? Social injustice, inequality, racism, war, addiction, homelessness, prejudiceness, prejudiceness, no, not that one, prejudice, social division, tribalism, genocide, divorce, abuse, gossip, slander, poverty, all of the sin and brokenness that we experience in this world comes down to one thing. We're trying to get the good life. We're actually trying to get the good life. You think that sin comes from going against what God created us for, but actually sin goes the way that sin works is that we're trying to get what God created us for, but not the way that God created us for it. You see, all sin stems from the idea that someone is trying to have the good life. We are pursuing a destination that we think will deliver on the good life. For example, you want nice clothes, but you don't got a lot of money to afford them? Great, well, we only need to pay these people a dollar a day so they can make your clothes. That's fine. You want to be pain-free, worry-free, just in a state of euphoria? Great, here's this pill. Oh, and it wears out. But you can always get more. And when you run out of money, you can just, you can just steal. You can make it happen. You want to be happy and able to do what you want? Your marriage, that's what's bringing you down. But you sign this piece of paper? Great news. You're free. It's like it never happened at all. You want enough to be able to go out for dinner and buy that nice furniture? Good news. There's overtime at your job. And if you just grind it out for 90 hours a week, one day you'll be able to spend time with your kids. 
It's the pursuit of the good life in a way that God never intended that gets us into sin. And either we bring that consequence on ourselves through our own pursuit of the good life or we're collateral damage for someone else's pursuit of the good life. War, racism, prejudice is because someone wants the good life, but in order to get it, they need to push you down. All of the sin and brokenness that we experience is because people want the good life, but they don't want it God's way. You see what I'm getting at here? The strategy of the enemy is to keep you lost on that map trying to find the good life. By dangling something in front of you. If you just do this, you'll have the good life. You just take this pill, you'll have the good life. You just sleep with that person, you'll have the good life. And whatever the temptation is, it's almost like you get to the destination and you're like, oh, that didn't really deliver. Oh, no, that's because you're at the wrong address. You go over there across town. And you're going to hit some potholes along the way, but when you get there, it's going to be the good life. And then we get over there and we're like, this, this still isn't the good life. This is not the life that I'm made for. There's something wrong. You see, Jesus didn't just come to bring us salvation, to die for our sins so that we can go to heaven one day instead of hell. If that's all that he came to do, he wouldn't have done any teaching. He wouldn't have done any healing. He wouldn't have needed to work miracles. He wouldn't have had disciples. He could have just paid the bill with his death and then, bing, we're in heaven one day. So why did he come as a teacher? Why did he choose disciples? Why did he give us commandments? Why did he reorder the way that we think? Why did he work miracles? You see, the Christian faith is about more than just salvation and not going to hell one day. It's about experiencing and living in God's kingdom here and now. Jesus came for more than just dying on the cross. John 8, 12 says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. What Jesus is telling us in this verse about who he is, is that he is the light that leads us out of the darkness so that we don't need to be confused, we don't need to get lost, we can see with clarity, we don't need to make wrong turns left and right and get lost on the way that will, it will lead us to a destination, and that destination is life, the life that we were made for, that we were created for, that he wants to bring us into. Or how about this, John 10, 14 says this, I am the good shepherd, I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. They are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one, 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 one shepherd. Not one shepherd plus a couple other assistants. Not, well, sort of this idea and that idea and this ideology and that ideology. No, no, one, one way. One way. What Jesus is telling us in this verse about who he is, is that he is with us. He's guiding us and leading us, protecting us from danger, from the enemy specifically, that he is calling other sheep. That's us, by the way, in this Jewish context. We're the other sheep that got called. We're the other sheep that made it into the sheepfold. Leading us to a destination which is life. Our key verse for this series, which puts it in such a clear way. Jesus told them, this is John, once again, 14.6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is telling us in this verse about who he is, 
that he has a destination for us called life. That it's the life that we were always made for, that he is reliable and trustworthy, and that he has all the directions, the way to get us there. He has the way to actually bring us into that life. Not like, oh, he has the best route. No, no. It's not like, oh, this is the scenic route that makes life more enjoyable. No, no, it's the only route. It's like we need to drive out of the city into something else that we didn't even think was out there. But it's the only route to the Father. It's the only way to life. Did you know that the early church originally weren't called Christians? That word Christian was actually a mockery by the Romans, and it meant little Christs. And they were like, we like that. That's, that's fitting because we look like our, our rabbi. We look like our Messiah. We look like Jesus. That's awesome. And so they embraced it. But the original church were called followers of the way. This is the way. Like you can imagine in the early church that someone would come to your door and knock and go, hey, we, we heard that you might be a follower of the way. Can I, can I stay in your guest house? This is the way. Or like maybe someone punches you in the face, but you remember on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, well, just turn the other cheek. And instead of getting up and being like, oh, buddy, you messed with the wrong, you're like, this is the way. Or when someone's like, hey, hey, give me your tunic. You're like, what? You want my tunic? Yeah, give me your tunic. And you're like, oh, okay. You take it off and you go, you want my shirt too? This is the way. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. When you give, don't let your, your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you pray, pray in secret. This, this is the way. The way, the truth, and the life. Eugene Peterson says it in his, in his book, The Jesus Way, like this. And it's such a beautiful quote. I'm going to read it for you. The Jesus Way, married to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth, but then do it any old way we like. See, I just pause right there. That sometimes we're like, well, I know the truth. And so I'm just going to get on Facebook and I'm going to toast some trolls. Well, but that probably isn't the way. Well, but it's the, it's the right destination they need to know about their sin. They need to know that God has a perfect and righteous standard. But if we read the book of Revelation, it says that he sits on the judgment seat, right? We read that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. So what are we doing out of our own way? You see what's getting at here? We can't just serve Jesus any old way we want and then call it Christian faith. There is a way, a specific way to live that brings glory to God and shows the world around us. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine before men so that they may give glory to your Father in heaven. We are supposed to be a light that gets put up on a light stand to give light to the entire house. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And the only way that that works is Jesus' way. It doesn't work our way. 
It doesn't work when we take the culture of the world and the way of the world and like just a great business strategy and just a great program and we just throw it in with some Christian jargon. Be like, well, this is like self-help but with Jesus. No, that does not work. What works is the way that Jesus calls us to live and do life. The way of Jesus when followed leads to personal wholeness and corporate wholeness. It leads to personal wholeness in our life, but it also leads our church and our city into a different kind of kingdom here on earth. Sure, we're headed to a destination, but when we live the way of Jesus, it's like we get to experience the destination the entire journey. And there's still things that we know are not from the destination. When someone gets sick, when a loved one dies, when we still experience conflict that we've done everything that we can but they don't want restoration. We experience the pain, like Paul says, of childbirth, waiting for the image of Christ to be revealed, waiting for when Jesus fully restores the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But on the way, on the journey, we get to experience a new kind of life, a new kind of life. So how do we do that? What does it look like to follow the way of Jesus, to really follow the way. You know, if we were to get into all the details, and I could just get the team to come on back up, wherever you guys are. We didn't talk about this beforehand, so this is the cue. <laughs> to really follow the way of Jesus, I'm not going to get into all the details of what that looks like, because at the end of the day, there's, there's three kind of critical parts of following the way of Jesus that we can apply to almost every situation. To be honest, I don't have time to stand up here on this stage today and explain to you the way of Jesus in every single situation. You remember WWJD? You remember WWJD? The, eye of, the idea of WWJD is what would Jesus do? That when we come into a situation, that when we're journeying through this life, when we're on the road of life, we are asking ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? But another question that we need to ask ourselves is how would Jesus do it? Not just what would Jesus do, how would Jesus go about doing this? And another better question that we really need to ask, I'm throwing WWJD under the bus here, guys. What would Jesus do if he were me? Because Jesus was a first century Jewish male rabbi. And there's some stuff you're gonna come up with and you're gonna come up against in life that when you flip open the gospels, you're not gonna find it in there. You're not gonna find how to deal with your smartphone in the gospels. You're not gonna find ways to deal with opiates in the gospel. But what you do find is the underlying principles of the way of Jesus and how to approach these things. Having a critical approach to the way that things are affecting us and asking ourselves the question, is this making me more like Jesus? Or is this making me less like Jesus? I just want to put this out there. If we asked ourselves that question honestly before we acted, do you know how much of a headache we could save ourselves? Is this going to make me more like Jesus? Does this honor God? Does this bring him glory? Because if so, that's probably the way. And if it's one of those situations that the Bible speaks to, it's even easier for us. But if it's one of those complicated situations that you feel like our culture is putting pressure on, the temptation is gonna be to give in to the pressure. Why? Because there's an enemy trying to get you to the wrong destination. 
And so we need to make sure that our posture is right before Jesus, not just being Christians who are going to heaven one day, but followers of the way who are living it here and now. This is the invitation of Jesus. This is what he invites us to. In Mark, Mark 1, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says this, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent from your sins and believe the good news. The first thing that we need to do is we need to repent. We need to be a people that are marked by repentance. And if you're like, but repentance for like, you know, like, like sinners, right? Yeah. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've fallen short of the glory of God on countless occasions. But it's about more than just the big sin, the stuff that you're like, ooh, I, I don't know if anyone wants to know about this. It's actually about asking yourself the question, am I heading in the right direction or am I heading in the wrong direction? You see, repentance is about realizing that I'm going the wrong way and making an about turn and going, well, that's, that's the right way. I thought that I had it right, but I actually had it wrong. We need to be a people who are marked by repentance. Imagine, if you will, that you're driving in your car and you're supposed to be going to New Brunswick, but you're on the road to what's that? Where are you from, Josh? Yarmouth! I don't know if anyone wants to go to Yarmouth. Let's say this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here's the reality. If you're meant to be going to New Brunswick, but you're on the road to Yarmouth, what do you need to do to get to New Brunswick? You got to turn around. You got to make a correction. And the invitation of Jesus to us is to be people who are willing to say, I got it wrong. When I first moved here, I was going to apartment three, great coffee shop where I worked and I was, I was going to interview for a job and I, I pulled out my phone and I put in apartment three and I drove where it told me to drive and I ended up at some person's house in Bedford. And I like looked at the phone, I was like, apartment three? Yeah, no, this is it. And I got out and I looked around and I was like, I guess there could be apartment number three over there. And here's why, because I followed the wrong directions. There is no shortage of voices in our culture and in our world that are looking to give you directions. In fact, the enemy is actively working against you. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life abundant. The enemy is constantly trying to reroute you to the wrong place. And when we realize that we're going the wrong way, what we need to do is go, well, this isn't right. But here's the beauty. The Bible tells us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So it's almost like as we're driving along, Jesus is just jogging alongside the car. He's like, you ready? You ready for me now? Well, I'm gonna help you out. And when we open the door, we're like, yeah, could you? Because I'm lost. I have no idea where I'm going. I, I've got some GPS instructions that led me the wrong place. We say, would you get in? And it's like Jesus is like, sure, I can get you to where you need to go. And he jumps in and he gets in the passenger seat. The second thing that we need to do is we need to believe. In this verse it says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. Guys, I want to say this. Jesus is not a GPS. It's just not his way. 
A GPS is a piece of impersonal technology that you can put an address in and it'll take you where you need to go. That's not Jesus. Jesus is like, no, I'm gonna sit in the passenger seat. And we're gonna do this thing together. And when we're driving, I'm gonna say, hey, turn right. And if you miss it, I'll be like, it's okay, we'll come back around. We'll get it. We'll get it on the next one. Because Jesus is personal and he's embodied. He's not a program, he's a person. He doesn't just give us a bunch of rules that we can follow. He actually shows us how to get to where we're going. He doesn't just give us map quest instructions because they're useless. He says, yeah, we'll do this together. I'm in the car with you. And you know that song, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, right? You know that one? No, really? Okay, all right, just making sure. I'm not singing it, no. That's actually not what God wants to do. He doesn't want to do that. Jesus doesn't get in the car and go, all right, just let me drive. Because that's a version of Christianity that we like because it means we need to do no work. We don't need to be paying attention. We just put our feet up on the dash. We're like, God's got this, no problem. I don't need to do anything. But the way that Jesus does it, he says, no, no, you believe that I'm trustworthy. And I'll sit in this passenger seat and I'll get you where you're going, but you need to listen to me. And you need to turn the wheel when I say to turn the wheel. And you need to brake when I say to brake. And you need to accelerate when I say to accelerate. You need to believe in me. You know, it's funny, my wife is, I love you, so bad at directions. On the way here, I asked her to drive because my back's still hurting me a little bit. And when we, she's like, should I take, should I take Lucasville Road or should I take the highway? I'm like, highway's faster. She's like, that can't possibly be true. I'm like, the highway's faster. Let's go to the highway, right? We get out to the highway and then I needed to call someone on the phone so I wasn't paying attention for like a second. And we drove right past our exit. And I was like, that, that was, oh, that was the exit. She's like, what? I thought we went all the way up to Beaver Bank. And I'm like, no, that's so far out of the way. Did you think that that's the fastest way to get where we're going? Or like we'll come up to a stop sign and I'm like, all right, turn left. And she's like, I'm pretty sure it's right. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's left. Turn left, turn left here. The other day she drove me to an appointment where I was getting my back fixed. I was like, turn left. And she's like, no, I'm, it's right. And I'm like, it is left. Just trust me and believe me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Because sometimes we get to that stop sign, we're like, no, Jesus, it's right. He's like, no, it's left. We're like, no, it's right. It is right. You don't understand, Jesus. People are going to reject us. People are going to say all kinds of terrible things about us. People are going to, they're going to look down on me because I'm a Christian if I go the way you're asking me to go. And he's like, yeah. But don't worry about that. They hated me first. <laughs> this is the way. He's asking you to trust him and believe in him. And the last thing is this. Mark 1, 16, the next verse says this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. It's not the right verse. And then he says, come follow me. Come follow me. Turn left when I say turn left. Turn right when I say turn right. Don't do it your own way. It's not working. It's actually killing you. It's not just about the destination. I have a journey that I want to take you on. There's this one road that you can take that leads to life. 
come follow me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And in a, next week, we're going to talk about the truth of Jesus. The week after that, we're going to talk about the life of Jesus, about how he put this into practice. But I just want to, I want to put this out there as our final challenge this morning. Something to just think about. All right? I'm going to read this so that I don't get it wrong. I want to ask you something. Show of hands, who knows who I'm talking about when I say the Pharisees? The Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees were this religious sect in the Jewish faith. They were the leaders of the Jewish faith. And they were zealous for God. Man, they, they really wanted to see God move. The Pharisees wanted a move of God so bad, they wanted revival in the nation of Israel for the kingdom to be restored to Israel so bad that they told every single person to follow the code for the priests. You see what they did? They made the laws even harder for the people following. Now let me ask you this, is there a problem with those laws? No. God wrote those laws. God's okay with those laws. In and of themselves, those laws are fine. But what did the Pharisees do? What they did is they took the law of God and they put people on the outside. And they said, you're not, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You can't hang with us. You can't eat with us, right? Literally, that's not like a Mean Girls reference. They literally wouldn't let people eat with them because the table represented connection and restoration and community. And you can tell how much you're following the way of Jesus by how big your table is. You can tell how much you're following Jesus by who you hate, who you dislike, who is on the outside to you. You see, the Pharisees were trying to be perfectly righteous, but they didn't do it God's way. And when the Messiah showed up, when Jesus himself said the kingdom is here, they said, that's not the destination we were thinking of. I want to ask you this morning. Number one, is your destination lined up with God's destination? And number two, is the way that you're getting to that destination lined up with his way? And I'm not just trying to throw this out there to be mean, but genuinely, if you were to go look at your Facebook comments recently, the posts that you put up on your social media, the way you talk about other brothers and sisters in Christ, the way that you engage with church community, the way that you go to a small group or don't go to a small group, the way that you talk to your coworkers at work, the way that you speak about people, the way that you represent Jesus, the question is, is it the way of Jesus? Or are we modern day Pharisees? Or, or maybe, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're like, oh no, I hate those people. I hate the religious people. No, no, I'm all about loving people. And you know what? Sin is just, oh, whatever. We just wink at sin. It's no big deal. I want to tell you, that's also not the way of Jesus. There is a, there's a, there's a place where we move into liberality, where we are like, ah, oh, sin is no big deal because Jesus died on the cross. So who, who cares how you live? It doesn't matter in any way. And then on the other side, you got the people who are like, you can't even come to my small group because I heard, I heard, I heard something about the thing you said or the thing you did, and you're not following the law. And in the middle of all of that, there is Jesus who says, go and sin no more, and at the same time, stop holding people out of my kingdom. And so my challenge today, 
as we go from here, we go have dinner, we hang out. My challenge is this. Would you be really serious about pulling over the car and saying, am I where I need to be? Am I lost somewhere on this street? You know, the vision of Nova Church is to be those far from God brought close to God. There are parts of me that are so far from God that need to be brought back in. And here's the beauty. When we say, God, can you help me? He comes in. When we repent, he just gets right in with us. He says, okay, let's, let's get you back on track. Let's get you on the road. Let's get you on the way. And we believe in him, when we follow him, even when we're like, I need to go right. And he's like, no, turn left. And we go, fine. And then when we start to look at the surroundings, we're like, oh, oh you were right. Does anyone do that? Yes. <laughs> oh, you were right. This was the right way. You'll find that every time you follow Jesus. You are never gonna follow the instruction of Jesus and go, I still feel more lost. You'll look around and go, oh, I recognize this. This is the life you made for me. But we need to follow him. So I wanna invite you. I'm gonna pray for you in a second. But as we go from here, as we walk away, can we just be honest with God? Because it doesn't produce any life to be like those Pharisees who say, God, I thank you that I'm not like these sinners. Thank you that I don't need to repent. But when we come before God and we say, have mercy on me, it changes everything. This is the way. And it's open to anyone. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're such a good God. God, that you came to show us the way to live the way to function, that you came to bring us freedom and liberty. God, that you came to break the power of sin. And God, where we have been wrong, where we have not followed you, where we have been unfaithful to you, where we have done the right type of destination, maybe even in your name, but not the way that you would do it, we repent and we turn from it and we say, God, would you lead me? And we believe in you and we follow you. And as we do that, God, I pray that you would bring your kingdom here on earth, in our church, in our communities, in our friend group, in our families, here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, church, I hope that challenges you, but also encourages you. He is good and he wants to lead us. We're going to dismiss now. Why don't you go out? Coffee is flowing. Say hi to someone. We're going to be back here next week, 3 p.m. for church in the afternoon. We love you. Have a great day.